0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guests today are Marianne Roth, the Chief Risk Officer for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the President of the Association for Federal Risk Managers, and Kate Silvis, the Enterprise Risk Management Practice Lead at GuideHouse. Marianne, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Glad to be here.
1: Happy to be here. We are today talking about a new survey from a firm. This is an annual survey, so I think we've talked about this before. But uh, I always think that these are really important uh, surveys because it really does—you guys at a firm—and does a really nice job of capturing really the state of enterprise risk management. Something that the government's kind of been going down this path for the last—I don't know, Marianne, what do you say—a decade or so, maybe more—have really focused on. Uh, when was the update to A one twenty three? Right, that's that's hanging on.
0: Right, yeah, that was in twenty sixteen. But um, some agencies have been implementing ERM since. Um, like the mid-2000s.
1: Right, right. 2016 feels uh, much uh, long ago. So let me start with the survey results. Maybe, Marianne, start us off. What are some of the highlights? What are some of the, the things the survey found that really stood out to you?
0: Well, I think the survey always does a really good job of demonstrating the progress that agencies have made in maturing their ERM programs. I think that you've seen greater buy-in for ERM across the board, and you see much more advanced analytical activities and analytical abilities um, in of um, ERM programs. And I think that you also see a lot more integration of the ERM function across other key operational areas in the organizations, like alignment with the strategic plan, aligning with budget, aligning with cybersecurity. Um, all of those things, I think, are significant changes and really demonstrate how ERM is becoming part of the way agencies just do business rather than an added responsibility or something that is um, not not as valuable for for their um, overall
1: objectives. Generally speaking, when you saw the survey results, and there's plenty to talk to, we'll get more details. Did that surprise you that the ERM is being more, is, is deeper into the agency culture, deeper into the agency thinking? Because it's not just folks like yourself who are practitioners, but really other people are starting to think about those risks. Did that surprise you at all?
0: It didn't surprise me, but I, w- I was very happy to see that. You know, I think that as ERM practitioners, it's always a challenge to to demonstrate the value of ERM or effectively communicate the value of ERM in a way that those who aren't practicing it can easily understand. So I think that it demonstrates that agencies are able to do that, that they're
2: able to demonstrate the
0: value of ERM and integrate more.
2: This is Kate. Jason, if I could add uh, an additional point to that, one of the things that we did see this year, we've been doing the survey for eight years. This is the eighth year. And as Marianne mentioned earlier, ERM became part of OMBA 123 in 2016. And so we've had eight years um, of this requirement. And I think that one of the things that we have seen is that the duration of ERM programs is getting longer. Uh, and the longer that you have to do something, the more you can move into some of, I would call it more sophisticated activities around ERM rather than some of the foundational aspects of setting up a program, developing principles, um, you know, running enterprise risk assessments. And now we're moving into that integration or how do you use all of the data? Uh, that an agency has in order to do, you know, better data analytics and look at key risk indicators, key performance indicators, and how does that drive uh, your decision making. And so I think the duration and the maturity of some of our programs that have been around for a long time are helping to drive some of the changes that we're seeing um, around integration, around uh, some of these more sophisticated aspects of ERM.
1: Kai, okay, that's actually a really interesting point, a really important point because of uh, that's really the key, right? It's great that people know what ERM is. It's great that people understand the, the concepts, but seeing the value in it. And I was actually going to ask you to to maybe comment on that. Put put on not just your firm hat as someone who helped with the survey, but but your Guidehouse hat as someone who works with agencies on this stuff. Are you seeing a, a different discussion that's happening with clients or potential clients?
2: Yes, depending on the maturity of the agency. One of the things that I was really excited about this year was the change in the amount of organizations that have identified and are using risk appetite. Now, I hope they haven't just put a risk appetite statement in place to put a risk appetite statement in place, but they're actually using that conversation to make trade-offs. And That is some of the conversations that I'm having with executive risk committees is around how do I use risk appetite to make a resource trade-off or a trade-off around my objectives? So many agencies have strategic plans. They have very specific objectives that they are trying to achieve. And when I talk about risk appetite with them now, it's about... What types of risks are you going to take in order to achieve those objectives? Not only what risks are you trying to avoid to to keep you from not meeting those objectives, but what do you actually have to take from a risk perspective? And we don't often talk about risk-taking in the federal government. Um, We tend to be extremely risk-averse. But there are a lot of really big, challenging, complex objectives that the administration um, wants to achieve, And that has, you know, come down to each of the agencies have to have those same objectives. And I think we have to talk about what risks we're willing to take uh, in order to achieve those big, complex objectives, because we're not going to be able to do it if we have a completely risk averse approach uh, to 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 our risk taking and to our objectives.
0: And if I could add on to that, that this is Marianne. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point Kate and I would say that relying on risk appetite to help inform your decision making allows agencies to better adapt to the highly dynamic environment that they're they're operating in. You know, um, prior to the pandemic, it made sense to have like a five-year strategic plan, but now it feels like every, every six months, your entire, envi- your entire environment is completely different. So I think that having risk appetite clearly articulated allows agencies to and decision makers to, you know, make more effective trade-offs given the, the current environment and understanding how that will, um, that will change in the near future.
1: Marianne and Kate, you both bring up really interesting points about risk appetite. And that's something that that came through in the survey. First, I guess, did you have to define what risk appetite was or do people generally who you're surveying understand that concept? And then let's delve into what is a risk appetite besides your appetite for risk? I'll make that obvious uh, connection. Marianne, maybe start us off.
0: Sure well, I'll let Kate speak to the definition of risk appetite in the survey and um, people's understanding of it, but um in general, I would say that risk appetite is becoming more and more accepted and more and more understood across the federal government, and that it's it's not just about putting a, a document on paper it's you know or stating an appetite on paper it's really about providing those within the organization, guardrails so that they know how to operate and how to navigate the
2: highly complex and dynamic environment that we're all working in. So I'll talk about definitions. Uh, We did not define in the survey itself uh, risk appetite. OMB A-123 has the definition of risk appetite included. And so we do make an assumption that if you are responding to the survey, you are in the risk management world uh, and either have read OMB A123 or um, the COSO Enterprise Risk Management Framework, uh, the definitions in those two documents uh, for risk appetite are the same. I love what Marianne said, because that's what I'm seeing as well, is there's just, there's a change in conversation around risk appetite. And I have been challenging my clients to not just look at risk appetite, which is defined as the amount and type of risk an organization is willing to accept in the pursuit of their objectives, not look at it just from that risk perspective, but look at it from an objectives perspective. How much risk am I willing to take or how much risk do I need to take for me to achieve this objective? Uh, and that then kind of translates to this trade-off conversation where if I have an objective that is going to be difficult to achieve and I have to take risk in order to achieve it, I'm probably going to have to take less risk in other areas or more risk in other areas. So for example, um, if I have an objective, it's happening a lot these days, to get as much grant money out to states or beneficiaries as possible in order to help them in whichever situation that they're in, I may make a a risk decision to put that money out without doing pre-checks on the beneficiary and instead doing back-end compliance. Or I may make a risk decision to say, Uh, it's more important for us to get this money out to the states and for them to use it than for us to do compliance. So we're going to modify the way that we report. Those are all risk-based decisions that go into the appetite that you're willing to take or the the appetite that you have. If you've never had that conversation as an executive team, you could be over-controlling. You could be taking less risk than you need to take in order to be able to achieve that objective and therefore not optimizing the use of your resources, either in people or uh, or time or dollars or systems. Uh, and so I think those are all new aspects of risk appetite that honestly, I've just seen starting to come to fruition in discussions with risk committees over the last 18 months or
1: so. I love your example, Kate, because the a lot of people, you know, talk about this in the ether, right? Like, oh well, you we got to make better decisions and much appetite. But the idea of we're going to send that money out maybe before we do our pre checks, obviously, is a good example because that's something that happened all during the pandemic. And maybe that's why. I'll just thought out to either of you, do you think that's why that risk appetite is much more talked about? Because during the pandemic, there was decisions that were made to get the money out the door that had a lot of risks to them, but the reward per se risk reward, maybe that's not the right terminology, but to meet those objectives, you had to do that in, in a way that, that, that you were able to to, if you will accept more risk. Do you think that's why we have a different view of appetite because of what they saw during the pandemic?
2: I think that that's probably a good example of, of why people are talking about appetite more it's funny because in some of those initial conversations that I had with clients around getting money out the door, it wasn't couched in a conversation about risk appetite, so to speak, right? It was just a pure decision-making conversation where you either the chief risk officer or the risk team was able to interject some questions to get the executives thinking about risk without using that term risk appetite, which is you know the, just a term of art in risk and people just don't always understand.
1: Marianne, just to weigh on this, maybe just a whether A something that happened at, at your agency or just more broadly, if you have you talked to folks, do you think that's one of the reasons why this this discussion, the survey results about risk appetite was so much different? Because folks understood now, okay, during the pandemic we took a ton of risks and now, hey, they weren't all great, but they also didn't we didn't fall apart and, and you know, get into lots of trouble from the IG per se.
0: No, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think it extends to all aspects of how Agencies manage through the pandemic. Um, you know, if you think about the fact that everyone had to telework and, you know, um, the the cybersecurity uh, risk that we were willing to take on in order to allow people to, you know, use their their laptops uh, you know, off site and log into the network and all of those types of things. Um, you know, it just became a fact of life, really, that agencies had to take on more risk in particular areas and still then, you know, protect their networks and, um, you know, figure out how to make those balances uh, to enable effective telework and still maintain security.
1: Marianne, Kate, on that note, let's take a quick break. we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guests today are Marianne Roth, the Chief Risk Officer for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the President of a firm, the Association of Federal Enterprise Risk Management, and Kate Silvis, the Enterprise Risk Management Practice Leader at GuideHouse. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Marianne Roth, the Chief Risk Officer of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the President of the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management. And Kate Silvis, the Enterprise Risk Management Practice Leader at GuideHouse. I want to shift gears a little bit. We talked a lot about risk appetite. But the other piece of this was I think the survey showed there's some, and I use this in quotes, notable improvements in integrating ERM with budget and performance processes, which is, I think, part of this discussion about risk appetite. Why do you think that also gained some, some prevalence in the survey, do you think it's, again, as, as maybe Kate said earlier, it was about experience and, and time, do they understand the process more, or is there something else that stood out to you? Maybe Kate, lead us off.
2: I think that it is a combination of experience and time. As I mentioned before, the longer duration, you have the opportunity then to get into more of the the integration pieces. It is really difficult right up front when you're just starting out a program to figure out how do I integrate with the budget process? How do I integrate with internal controls? How do I integrate with strategy when I'm still trying to figure out how do I gather all of our enterprise risks? Like what are our enterprise risks? And so I think that the maturity of the community itself is leading to these improvements in integration we still have, I would say, a long way to go on the integration. I think we have pockets of success uh, and I think we have pockets of people who just haven't even gotten there yet, haven't started to think about how I do this. And then agencies that are at that very beginning process of how do I do this integration? So I think we've seen some good increase in the means for those questions, which is encouraging. And I'm excited hopefully next year um, you know we'll see we'll see even more of a mean increase
0: yeah I, I completely agree with you Kate I think that 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 has been the primary factor for allowing better integration with um, budget and, and other processes I mean I think that um, when an agency has been just starting out with their erm j- journey, you know, it's a little almost overwhelming for stakeholders to identify all the enterprise risks and figure out, like, what does that mean? And once we have them identified, what do we do with it? <laughs> so, you know, I think that now that agencies have been developing their risk profiles and risk registers for several years now, you can actually see the benefits of identifying those risks and mitigating them and and helping, you um, Leadership make decisions about which risks to mitigate and how much mitigation is necessary for those those risks. So I think that that um, I think that the the risk response aspect of enterprise risk management also really allows for better integration. So an example of what I mean is that if an agency is Experiencing challenges with, say, recruiting new employees or that have a sp- particular expertise or um, knowledge skill area. And that is um, one of the risks on your risk profile. Having a mitigation strategy in place allows leaders to determine how much they want to invest in. Addressing that risk and therefore it just becomes a natural kind of integration with the budget process and other key processes in the organization because it's it's built in. You know, it's, I think in the very beginning stages of an ERM program, it always feels like you're tagging ERM onto, you know, an existing process, whereas now the agencies have been doing it for some time. They can, it's more seamlessly integrated into how they manage their
1: operations. Marietta, I want to go go back to, as you talk about understanding leadership and driving decisions, I mean, this is what risk management is really all about. This is why agencies are doing it. This is why the private sector does it. It's to make better decisions, uh, it, did that also come through in the survey about how this is leading to better decisions? We talked value earlier, but I think that that's all intertwined.
0: Yes, I, I think that the maturity of of agencies' ERM programs really help really help demonstrate that.
2: To add to that, Marianne, one of the benefits of ERM that comes up every year uh, in the in the survey is that. The top benefit that agencies are seeing is enhanced management decision making by utilizing data and information produced by ERM. Uh, And so that's that has been consistent um, throughout the entire life of the survey. So for eight years, that's been the number one benefit that have been that's been chosen by survey respondents. And so It's another one that I hope that they are, you know, that they're answering truthfully there and not just the benefit they think we want to hear.
1: So we talked a fair amount about some of the results of the survey, some of the interesting things that stood out. I want to go maybe go back to the top when, Marianne, you talked about some of the things that that stood out to you. Let's go down the path of of advanced analytics and the the capabilities of those ERM programs. Uh, Again, that goes back to maybe some of what we were just talking about, which is why you do this, what you can do about it. The big concern that I hear often about these programs, whether it's enterprise risk management or really anything, is is how good your data, you know, can the data work for you? Do you have the right data? Where do you get your data from? Let's go down that path a little bit and talk a little bit about the data challenges with enterprise risk management. Kate, is there anything in the survey? I'll start with you. Is there anything in the survey or anything you want to pull in from the work with clients about that data discussion and how it can feed into the analytics side of it?
2: There is nothing in the survey about data. Uh, And so this is actually a great conversation. And perhaps we'll add that as a question and for next year uh, to talk about data. But in my experience in working with clients, it is one of the key challenges in moving down a path of key risk indicators, advanced data analytics, determining whether or not you can use something like natural language processing, machine learning, AI, in order for you to really understand how some of the risks are showing up in your organization. And it's we uh, at GuideHouse have kind of called that data aspect and the ability to bring all of these different data pieces together, the attempt to feel the heartbeat of the organization. So how do I take all of the information and data sources that are available to me uh, and bring them together to show me how something is going to break. So one of the examples that I like to use is there's human capital information about organ, like who's eligible to retire. We have training information on who has kept up to date with training in their particular operational you know, areas. We have information uh, on... Throughput of, let's say, applications, Um, how many applications we're getting in, how many applications are being processed. If we take those three pieces of information, correlate them together, you can start to see where within an organization operationally it might break. And that then should lead to a key risk indicator that says, you know, if this correlation of information hits this target or this tolerance band then i am much more at risk of not being able to process those applications it's slowing down like there's a significant number of things and impacts that could happen and most agencies just we're just not there yet with the ability to use data in that way to say how can I drive really interesting key risk indicators you know, to give us better information about how a risk might manifest or where my operations might break that I need to shore up? I think we have some data and we're trying to correlate things like the GIPRA performance indicators um, you know, that agencies have to have to put together, anyways, to say, those already exist. How can we use them as potential key risk indicators by putting tolerance bands around them because agencies are comfortable with the data sources that are going into, you know, to drive that. So those are some of the things that I see around data, data analytics. Uh, Marianne, I don't know if you have any any other insights there, um, but I'll pass it over to you to see if you do. I agree with exactly what you're saying, and I think that was a great example of some of the, the core
0: principles that I think the agencies need to consider when they're thinking about the, the data that they have. And that's um, availability of data, reliability of da- data, and data integrity and, um, and data usability. Uh, those are three areas that, you know, I, I know that our agency um, struggles with. I think most agencies do is making sure that you have data that, you know, can be, easily accessible and, you you know, share throughout the organization to help drive those decisions. And I think that one of the challenges for ERM programs is, first of all, identifying those data sources and the, the you know, reliable, integrated data um, elements, but also um, leveraging what, what's in, in place so that it, be, again, becomes a natural integration into the agency's operations rather than creating a plethora of new metrics that are specific to ERM but are not meaningful to the uh, the process owners and and to the decision makers in the organization.
1: Keita, that example is really good because I think it's something folks can get their head around. We've been talking about the retirement wave for much of the past 25 years. Now it's more of drip, 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 but maybe that drip is is going faster. When you bring this up, do agencies have that aha moment? And, And did you see that aha moment maybe come out with that maturity that we've talked about with that the survey is showing?
2: I've seen it in one place so far, Um, so it's not, it hasn't permeated yet, but the organization that I've seen it in has actually tied their ERM maturity model with a data maturity model. And so they've determined what level of maturity do we need to be at in order to get better information for the maturity level we want to see for ERM. So it's essentially saying like, what are all the capabilities? What is the, the data capabilities on top of the ERM capabilities that we want to build in order to make the best decisions? Um, they're the first organization that I've seen do that. Uh, and so I think there's there's pockets of, of organizations looking at data differently, um, but it, this one isn't a theme necessarily that I've seen from the whole community yet.
0: Just to build on that a little bit, Kate, I would say that I think it also just highlights the importance of partnership with uh, your chief data officer in the organization. Um, You know, that is still a relatively new position for many organizations. And I think that there's just a natural partnership and alignment that the chief risk officer and the chief data officer can achieve together to um, help further the agency's mission and and pursuit of the objectives.
1: Ann, Kate. On that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back. We can continue our conversation. My guests today are Ann Roth, the chief risk officer for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the president of a firm, the Association of Federal Enterprise Risk Management, and Kate Silvis, the enterprise risk management practice leader at Guidehouse. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Marianne Roth the Chief Risk Officer of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the President of the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management. And Kate Silvis, the Enterprise Risk Management Practice Leader at GuideHouse. How's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau dealing with data? How are you working with your CDO? or, or You're not the CDO, right? You don't wear two hats. All right, no. No, ahead. I,
0: I do, do not wear two hats. Um, actually, CFPB has a very robust uh, data program. We have an excellent Chief Data Officer. Uh, she's fabulous to work with but we also um were one of the first agencies to have a chief data officer like when we you know we were still a new agency but very early in our existence we created a chief data officer before we had a chief risk officer actually so we have a strong infrastructure for for data because it's so all of our operations are so heavily dependent on data, like data that we take in from consumers, that we take in from regulated entities, that we um, analyze and then push out to researchers, to economists, to um, other organizations. So it is really the the lifeblood of our organization, and ensuring that our data is safe and that it's the the, the we have a lot of high levels of data integrity are are very important to us, and so. So I've been able to partner with our chief data officer to, um, t- to address that through our risk profile, through our risk mitigation strategies, and it's been uh, very effective. I mean, I think that having this type of partnership with the chief data officer is critical to a, a successful ERM program.
1: I think what we've seen over the past few years is to be successful in any one area, whether it's risk or data or CIO or CFO, there's always that inner connection that you need with the other CXO community. And I think as you brought up, Marianne, that's a really great example. There's plenty to talk about in the survey that's interesting or new or different, but let me maybe flip it around a little bit and ask you all anything that's concerning, anything that the results wise from the survey that you said, oh, that's a bad sign or that's a not as a positive sign as we had hoped for or anything surprising. Uh, Maybe I'll start with Marianne. Let me start that one with Kate.
2: Concerning isn't the word that I would use necessarily. There's nothing that concerns me. I think that there is one particular area that is an opportunity for the community. Um, And for those who heard me give the survey results at the Affirm Summit, This will not be new information. But we do ask this question about the difference between what is your current perception of risk versus the resources that you're spending on that risk. And there are five very specific areas that have consistently over time shown that the perception of that risk having an impact on organizations' objectives is significantly lower then the amount of time and resources that management is spending on those risk types. And those are things like financial risk, compliance-related risk, business continuity planning. And it's an opportunity for agencies, both this has to be a combination of the chief risk officer and the chief financial officer having conversations around, are we actually over-controlling in these areas? is there an opportunity for us to have the same risk profile without spending the same amount of resources that we have on those particular risk types? The answer might be no, that there's not that opportunity. But what the survey results are showing is that there needs to be a conversation. And so it's not concerning so much as it's an opportunity for new conversations to happen. And potentially saying, "Yeah, maybe we actually do need to spend less time or resources, or change our control profile uh, for some of those different risk types."
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Kate. And I would say that from an affirm perspective, what we're taking away from that type of finding is that we re- we really need to. Expand the type of thought leadership and training that we provide to our members, so that it's more focused on what what the what an executive level ERM practitioner needs. Um, you know, for many years, our a lot of our training was really focused on the fundamentals, like how do you build a risk profile, how do you set risk appetite, how do you do all these basic type of things, these core elemental fundamental um, elements of an ERM program. And I think what we we need to go is more towards how can we support executives when they're having those conversations? Now, what are the things that you need to think about so that you can raise these issues effectively with your leadership? And how can we influence um, non-ERM leaders to think about things from an ERM perspective, whether that be integrating with um, trainings that those, those new leaders receive, or thought leadership, and finding ways that, that we can really meet the needs of, of CROs and heads of ERM programs.
1: Marianne, Kate, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guests today are Marianne Roth, the Chief Risk Officer for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the President of a firm, the Association of Federal Enterprise Risk Management, and Kate Silvis, the Enterprise Risk Management Practice Leader at GuideHouse. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Marianne Roth, the Chief Risk Officer of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the President of the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management, and Kate Silvis, the Enterprise Risk Management Practice Leader at GuideHouse. Great to have all these results. It's great to get to take the pulse of the community, but you got to do something with it beyond talk to me, which I obviously appreciate. So that's one thing. Look at your training. Are there other big takeaways for a firm that you, that you're going to do it? And and Kate, I'll tee you up too because I'll ask you the same question. Because from a from your perspective as a practitioner, as someone who who helps agencies, you have to also think about what you can take from it. So, Marian, I'll, I'll open the door. Start with you. See if there's anything more you want to add.
0: So, I think one of the the big takeaways for me is that we really need to celebrate our successes that that we've achieved um, through erm and more broadly share those successes and those lessons learned so that other agencies can can build upon it. I think that that is a critical part of advancing the the profession of erm I think it also um, points to the need to. Look beyond just the federal sector in thinking about ERM and looking to what um, promising practices are emerging at the state and local government levels and how we can partner with those organizations to better improve our, our own ERM programs and to expand a firm's thought and leadership in this area. So I'd say that those are the, the two uh, main takeaways that, um, that, that I have from um, an firm
2: perspective. So I think looking at it from maybe two perspectives, what do I think are some takeaways for government agencies? We have talked a lot about what I would say are takeaways for government agencies. One is look at how you are using risk appetite for decisioning. How are you using your conversations about risk appetite to make trade-off decisions around resources? As I look at government today, there's an ever-increasing need to have a trade-off conversation because there is so much more that government is being asked to do with the same budget. Uh, And so having that risk appetite conversation, to me, is really important to achieve the mission that government has. As you look at the significant risk types that that the respondents have said, could have the biggest impact on agency objectives in the three to five year range. It's really around IT, cyber, human capital. And so as we've talked about building those relationships across the the C-suite, make and really work on relationships with the CIO's office, with the CISO, with your chief human capital officer to understand what they are looking at um, and how they view that particular risk. What can the CRO's office or the Enterprise Risk Council do to help support a budget request? Um, to help um, you know change the that resource allocation conversation. Uh, and so, looking at those kind of top risks, determining if your agency falls into the bucket of having one of those risks in your top risk, uh, and how are you going to start? You know, so how are you going to start or continue supporting those? Uh, senior leaders. I would say, speaking to the contractors out there, um, there were a couple of things for me uh, that came up and it really centers around the challenges that came up in in the survey results. And so two of the biggest challenges are bridging silos and executive support. As contractors, we often have multiple teams on different clients. And so we have the opportunity uh, to utilize our network and actually our own teams to say, is there a way that we can help build relationships across the agency for a specific risk area or specific project or program that's being implemented that needs to have a view of risk Kind of from that enterprise perspective uh, and so look at those opportunities across your portfolio of, of projects at different agencies and how can you really help our organizations kind of do better um, and and get better uh, information and then the last piece is that the top impactful improvement is more clear linkage and alignment and integration with resource allocation and I think that if we can get in and have uh, have some you know conversations about how can you do this, how do you connect in with the CFO's office around budget, um, around utilizing the enterprise risk committee, using the senior executive teams, however the the agency that you're working at does investment decisioning, uh, and how do you use those end of year monies, um, and figuring out how to connect that back to not only enterprise risk management, but business unit risk management, mission area, you know, whatever the business or functional areas uh, risk list is, how do you connect all of those pieces together? And sometimes contractors are in a great position to see all of that across. Like I said, because Number one, we're third parties, and we we have a you know sometimes a different view. We have a non-emotional view to some um, you know of the organizational processes, but we also usually have multiple teams. And so when we get together and we talk with all of our people that are supporting a different agency, you know we can find those opportunities. You know maybe slightly differently than someone at the agency who's been in a, a specific unit for a long time and doesn't necessarily have the same network we have.
0: You no, know, Kate, and I, I think that just that dovetails perfectly with what I was saying about changing the focus of um, some of our educational and thought leadership opportunities for 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 our members. I mean, I think that meeting CROs kind of where they are and allow you know helping them to think about ways to break down those silos and to connect um, across their organizations and across. you know, with other agencies, like, you know, sharing uh, success stories with other um, ERM leaders who have been able to bridge those silos. um, I I think it's just so incredibly important, and it really meets uh, agencies where they are, you know, Mm -hmm. with um, their ERM programs. I I think many agencies have progressed past the basic fundamental elements of ERM and that in order to continue to provide value to our members, we we really need to focus on what are the needs of um, an ERM executive in influencing other executives in their organization.
2: And that's one, Marianne, that I think is so important. And it's important for me as a non-government employee taxpayer, that the, the chief risk officer and the risk programs are in the best position To challenge sometimes, you know, the agency mission or the agency, you know, back office support functions to say, is this the best way for us to do this? Have we taken all of the risks into consideration when we're trying to employ a strategy You know, have we looked at multiple different options for that strategic approach and understand the risk profile for all of them? And that really is like, that is a very challenging position to be in. And it can feel like, oh, I'm always the one that's the challenger. And I think that like you mentioned, providing those resources to the the Affirm community can help move that kind of challenge function forward.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know now that you have a seat at the table, finally
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> what are you going to do
0: with it? <laughs> how do you effectively you most effectively use that seat at the table?
1: The one thing that occurred to me as we have this conversation, you're, you're talking about how to take advantage of the survey, but not just the survey itself, but but the, this where we are with risk, is it seems like the last six or so years we are in that crawl stage, and now we're starting to get into that walk stage, and not every agency is different, and I get that. So, so, Marianne, do you get a sense that agencies, when the conversations you're having within a firm, when you have a meeting, when you just have coffee with colleagues – what are their biggest challenges? Is it that integration piece with the CFO community, with, which is not just getting the seat, but doing something with that seat at the table? Is that their biggest challenge? Or are you seeing something else that is starting to kind of pop up now that, okay, we have our seat now. How do we go to the, from the crawl to the walk to the run?
0: I would say it really is about bridging the breaking down those silos and um, effectively using that seat at the table. I, I think that I think every ERM program would say that they could benefit from having more resources, but, you know, in our resource constrained environment, that's, you know, we have to work within that challenge. So, but um, I really think that, again, it, that integration, not only with the CFO, but with your chief data officer, with your CIO, with your um, human capital officer and your your procurement officer, like that integration across the, the C-suite I think is the critical to bringing your ERM program forward, to to continuing to mature it. Um, uh, without that, I, I don't think that you'll be able to really influence decision making as as um, as intended. As, you know, as um, you would not be able to get the value out of the out of ERM uh, without that type of integration and coordination.
1: All right. Very nice. You have plenty of of, uh, fertile ground to to plant those seeds of enterprise risk management. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guests. Marianne Roth is the chief risk officer for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and president of a firm, the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management. Marianne, always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
0: Thank you so much for having
1: me. And Kate Silvis is a practice leader for enterprise risk management at GuideHouse. Kate, thank you as well for taking the time.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.